Lord God, thank you that you care so tenderly for each one of us. And that in the beginning, you saw that everything you made was good. And when you made human beings, you saw that it was very good. We thank you, Lord, as Psalm says, your unfailing love is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. So now please help us to understand a little more about your awesome glory before time even began. The masterpiece of your creation and all your purposes for us as human beings and your extraordinary grace in every area of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read a, couple of, a few words from Tim Keller. I've added a few little bits. Let's assume for one moment that the distance between the Earth and the Sun, which is 92 billion miles, is reduced to the thickness of one sheet of paper. Okay? In that case, the distance between the Earth and our nearest star, apart from the Sun, would be like a stack of paper 70 feet high. Now, I think 70 feet high is about as tall as the trees on the high road. That's quite a long way. And the measurement, if you were to make it across the Milky Way, which is, of course, our galaxy, that would measure a stack of papers 310 miles high. That's the distance from here to Carlisle, a bit further from here to Paris. It is just mind-blowing, isn't it, when we think of the immensity, the enormity of God's creation. And Keller's words are just scratching the surface of uh, the, the complexity and the, the beauty and the harmony of all that God has made. And so we begin our psalm just with words of praise for God, our creator. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth and your glory is higher than the heavens. I'm using the living translation, by the way, if the words are a bit different from what is in your pew Bible. It begins, this psalm, and ends, like kind of bookends, with a shout of worship. This psalm was written to be sung and to be used in, in the daily worship of God's people. And uh, it's, it's a doxology. Now, being um, married to a preacher, I know that a proper sermon should have three points, so I'm not going to disappoint you. There's going to be three Ds, and um, please, please remember them, because I might sort of be really mean and ask you to tell me what they are at the end. <laughs> so the first D is doxology, and doxology is a word that means words that praise God, that bring him glory and honor. And we love to do that, don't we? Um, some of you are going to New Wine in a little while, and one of the highlights, I know, is, is being able to worship the Lord in amongst so many people, and Sunday by Sunday, and ourselves in our, our own times with the Lord. What a joy that is. And of course, sometimes it's not easy to praise God. Some of us have gone through very difficult times, perhaps very recently. We're carrying around with us great sadnesses or difficulties, but still, the psalmist says, praise God, 
because that is something that is going to lift our hearts and our souls. God doesn't ask us to worship him because he needs it. He asks us to worship him so that he can help us to understand how wonderful he is. There are many reasons, aren't there, to thank and worship and praise God. And first of all, let's think of that he sent his son to die for our sins. How wonderful that is. And in fact, Hebrews 2 quotes Psalm 8, uh, which a bit we're going to come to a little later. Uh, it says, Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels, just as it says in Psalm 8. And because he suffered death for us, he himself is now crowned with glory and honor. So I love when you read the Psalms, thinking about the people who it was written for, thinking about ourselves, but we also, so often you hear echoes of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I love to do that. We can thank and praise him for guiding and providing for us, and we can thank him and praise him that one day all things will be made new, and the suffering and the sighing will be gone, and the wrongs will be righted, and we will be in the presence of the Lord. So, a big reason is his creation of the universe. Now, I remember at school, at the beginning of the school year, you used to get your new exercise books, and you put your name in the front, and your form. Um, but sometimes I used to write um, Celia Bartholomew, um, 14 Sullington Way, Shoreham by Sea, Sussex, England, United Kingdom, the world, the universe. It kind of made me feel I was sort of important in the grand scheme of things. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but the more we learn about the universe, the more incredible it seems. Uh, you know, we've all wowed at David Attenborough's Blue Planet uh, series. And, and the more we see of the intri intricacies, and uh, we all share such a sense of awe when we look at a sunset or a mountain range or a newborn baby, it's just fantastic. And Romans 1.20 says that Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, and through everything that God made, they can see clearly the invisible qualities that he has, his eternal power and, and divine nature. So that's D for doxology. The second D is dignity. We're going to look at verse 2 a little bit later, but verse 3 to 5 says this, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you have set in place. What are mere mortals that you should care for them, that you should think of them? Yet you made them a little lower than God himself. In the New Living Translation, that's what it says, God himself. And you crown them with glory and honor. In, uh, you, nowadays, uh, with light pollution over London, it's quite tricky to see the stars. You saw the lovely picture that we had up earlier. But can you imagine David, the shepherd boy, lying on his back in the grass, gazing up at the stars and the moon and knowing all the constellations and just imagining what it was like when God on that day, that first day, began sort of popping all the stars in the right place. How amazing that was. And how wonderful it is that he has made us a little lower than the heavenly beings. It's quite extraordinary. You would have thought that with everything that God has to do and his vast creation, how come that he cares about us? But that is the truth. That is the truth of the gospel and how wonderful that is. So human beings are infinitely precious in God's sight and for us as well. 
because we were bought with the price of Jesus' blood. How precious. There is nothing more precious on all, all of anywhere than Jesus dying for us, his blood. And while we might judge by outward appearances and success, God doesn't look on the outside, he looks on the inside. And he loves us however we are, whoever we are. He loves us while we're yet sinners, while we're still his enemies. He loves us just the same. His grace is that he couldn't love us any more. He couldn't love us any less. How wonderful that is. Of course, sin has marred God's image in us. But still, we reflect so much beauty of what he is. And that gives us dignity. And as Christians, it's very important, I think, for we can really express that important truth through the way we deal with other people and our attitudes. Um, Lyndon, my husband, who's here today, and I have worked with an organization called CARE for some years. I know some of you um, uh, have been great supporters, which is lovely. And I'm just going to take out a couple of moments. The reason I chose Psalm 8 is because for us, it's the CARE Psalm. Now, CARE is an organization that works in the parliaments and assemblies to bring a Christian voice and to try to make sure that the laws of our land are, um, reflect God's goodwill. <clears throat> we work particularly in the area of human dignity, of um, those who are most vulnerable. We've done a lot of work on human trafficking and modern slavery, things like um, uh, um, addiction to gambling and pornography, and particularly the end of life and the, and the beginning of life issues. And some, sometimes that's a real battle. We know that we're not fighting against um, flesh and blood, but about spiritual realities. And uh, we've been going for, Linda and I have been working with this organization for over 35 years, and it's just uh, such a privilege. And um, very kindly, um, Richard has allowed me to bring um, this little publication, which is, starts today, actually, uh, which is our prayer diary, uh, which just helps us to pray about issues in society. So that's my little plug. Please forgive me. But uh, inside, there's a little leaflet if you would like to get this um, regularly. But in care, we feel so passionately that as human beings are made in God's image, the dignity of human life is something we must really, really work for and live for. Life matters. And of course, Jesus became human too. He became a microscopic little bundle of cells, grew into a little embryo, <clears throat> came an unborn child, a boy, a grown man, and then he went to the cross. And Hebrews 4 said that that's why he's able to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. He's tempted in every way he was, just as we are, and yet he didn't sin. So let's not think we don't matter. Even though God is governing the vast universe, even though then a hundred billion, somebody's counted them, don't know how, a hundred billion people apparently have ever been born since the beginning of time. That's an awful lot of people. And it is just mind-blowing to put our trust in what the Bible says, that even though that huge scale, God's love is so powerfully for us. How wonderful that is. So doxology, praise, words praising God. Dignity, that human beings are special and made in God's image. The third one is destiny. 
verses 6 to 8, tell us about how God, we read about it in the beginning of Genesis, put everything under our power and our governance as human beings. We were sent out, we were mandated by God to take care of the wonderful world that he has made. And we've made a bit of a mixed job of it over the generations. And uh, uh, in the psalm, it says, mentions flocks and birds and fish. But today, when we think about our, um, our mandate to care for creation, we can add to that list, can't we? We could add things like technology, um, medicine, politics, the arts, goes on and on. There's nothing in creation that we as God's people cannot be involved in. That's part of our destiny, that we have been destined to be God's representatives where he puts us. We've inherited that God-like ability. You think of all the chemistry and the physics and the artistry and the, and the organization that was in God when he created things first of all. That same power dwells in us. Mind-blowing. And some people know from an early age what their destiny is. Mozart probably recognized when he was just at his mother's breast that he was going to be a musician because at age five, he was performing to royalty. So, uh, and, and other people, their destiny is very clear, but for most of us, we're not really sure. And it's something of the life's pattern that God will draw us along, the paths that we will go. And sometimes it's a kind of a, the Lord asks us to do a specific thing, our destiny. And it's putting, to get, putting into action our natural gifts and our spiritual talents. And as a church, uh, this is something where we can really live this out, the destiny that we have, that God has given us. Ephesians 2.10 says, we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God created, prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. This is our destiny. And later on it says, that is so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So it's as a church, as well as as individuals, that we really discover our destiny. And let's all ask the Lord earnestly as we're looking at so much exciting development here at Christ Church and St. Albans, whether there is something that is a bit of a destiny that God's calling us to. So we, uh, we look at the wonderful greatness of God. We look at the dignity of human beings. We look at the destiny that he has for us. I just want to go back quickly to that verse too. You've taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. Tomorrow morning there will be 84 children here doing the Jungle Holiday Club. Let's pray for all those helpers. What a fantastic thing that's going to be. And Jesus was so countercultural that he cared for children. He welcomed them. And here in Psalms, it's like God looks for those who are little and weak and that people would overlook in order to express his, uh, his strength and to silence his enemies and to bring his work on earth. And sometimes when we're feeling discouraged and think, well, what on earth can I do? Let's remember that God can use every one of us and particularly perhaps in our prayers. So...
when it said, I just wanted to say one other thing. It says you've taught children and infants to tell of your strength. And of course, that was one child in particular. Without that child who came at Bethlehem, who grew up and uh, lived out God's life, who died for our sins, none of this would matter. Without Jesus coming, creation is great, but we would be lost. Without Jesus coming, our lives would be good, but at death, they would be finished. And because Jesus came, because of that child, we have such a hope in heaven. So, the creation, the place of human beings, the call to serve, that's doxology, dignity, and destiny, all founded on his love and demonstrated specifically on the cross. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And may our lives be pleasing to you.